Hello and welcome to The Sharpening Report. Tonight we welcome back a very special guest, Dr. Andy Woods, to talk to us about his research into the mysterious end-time city of Babylon. What is this place in the book of the Revelation? What does it describe? Dr. Woods is going to show us how to uh, interpret this. The simplest and most biblically consistent way to understand Babylon is actually to, believe it or not, allow the Bible to define it for us instead of us trying to redefine it ourselves. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Let's jump right into it. Dr. Andy Woods, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good, and it's good to be back with you again. I I think it was been a couple months or something since the last time we did one of these, but always happy to contribute. Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a couple months. Last time we talked about uh, the rapture and uh, the idea of the coming kingdom. It was very well received. A lot of people learned a lot from that. So I really appreciate you taking the time for this. And I'm, I'm really excited about this topic um, because I, I've heard many people actually say, Dr. Andy Woods changed my mind on Babylon. And then when, uh, oh. yeah, it's great. And then when, I, when I've seen your, your sermons on it, uh, r really, I mean, you're, you're just taking the, the simple, literal approach, which in our day today has uh, become more and more profound. Not a lot of people want to do that. Um, a lot of people today take like a non-literal approach to the book of Revelation. And I think it's probably because of its symbolic nature. At least that's, you know, sort of what it, how it reads on the surface. But you and I take kind of more of a literal view. Can you explain what the word literal actually means in terms of interpreting the Bible? Because there's a lot of straw men out there um, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, things that we get attacked over, you know, saying that, well, if um, we're, are we really literally meant to be salt or was Jesus literally a door? You know, nobody believes that. But what does what does a literal actually mean in terms of interpreting the Bible? And then how does that actually work with a book like Revelation? Well, literal, you know, if you look it up in uh, like the Oxford Dictionary, it says by the letters. <laughs> and so basically what that means is you're interpreting what's there rather than what's dragging in a bunch of stuff that's not there in that particular in a particular passage and i've always thought bernard ram in his protestant biblical interpretation hermeneutics book has the best definition it's just assigning uh to words meanings that they would have in their ordinary communication to the original audience so yes revelation is a symbolic book but there's obviously things in the book that are literal i mean it opens up and it talks about you know john we believe it was the apostle john and he was on the island of patmos we believe he was literally on a desert island and he saw jesus and we believe jesus means jesus etc uh, so literal interpretation is you try to take the text at ordinary about uh, meaning Unless the text itself tells you to do otherwise, like you mentioned earlier, metaphors and similes, um, I think it was E.W. Bullinger that wrote a, a book called Figures of Speech in the Bible, and it spans about a thousand pages, and it identifies every possible figure of speech you could have in the Bible. And unless one of those figures of speech is in play, you know, you take the text for what it says. And that's how you interpret the whole Bible. Now, Revelation is a little harder because it's different than Romans or Galatians or the Gospel of John. It's just there's more symbols in it. But you use the same method. And, you know, you can tell in the book of Revelation when symbols are being used. It'll use words like uh, 
you know, John says, I saw a sign in heaven. Revelation 12.1, the, the word sign there tells you that uh, a symbol is in play, or he'll talk about where their Lord was crucified in Revelation 11, verse 8, city, which is spiritually Sodom and Egypt. So the word spiritually, the word adverb, the adverb there spiritually tells you that, you know, he's assigning um, another layer of meaning. But unless those conspicuous te- uh, clues are found in the text, you take the text for what it for what it says. And Babylon is used 300 times in the Bible. And guess what it means every single time? It means Babylon. <laughs> so, <laughs> Amazing. And so, and so uh, when I see the phrase in the book of Revelation, and it's pretty prominent in the book of Revelation, and it doesn't tell me to – it doesn't say Babylon means something else. Um, I, I believe Babylon means Babylon. Yeah, I, I believe that as well, and I, I think a lot of times, uh, and I've I was in my younger years, I was guilty of this too. I think a lot of times people overcomplicate Revelation, and when you actually just read it for what it is and understand that a lot of these symbols, um, well, all the symbols, they they've already been uh, explained uh, in you know the Old Testament, some parts of the New Testament. It's it's like I've heard you say before. the The writer expects the reader to be familiar with the material that came before it. So, if you're familiar with the Old and New Testament, then a lot of those symbols you, you you'll be able to find out what's being talked about. Um, the speaking of which, the question of Babylon stretches all the way back to the beginning. Speaking of the Old Testament, the very first book, the book of Genesis, uh, just after the flood. Um, can you tell us about the Tower of Babel? Because I think understanding where this all started is really the key to how uh, this yeah. is, this is going to end. What, what was going on in the days of the Tower of Babel that started a, a worldwide false religion? Well, it was man's first attempt at a new world order, mm-hmm. which is a one world system of economics, politics, and religion, which excludes God. And they were told to spread out Genesis 9-1. They didn't do that. They came together, you know, to make tower into heaven, to make a name for themselves. And God didn't like what was happening. And so he confounded the language that existed at the time into multiple languages and there was something going on at that tower and here i get into um, babylonian tradition because it's not you know found specifically in the bible but you know if babylonian tradition is correct there was something called the mother child cult where nimrod who is mentioned in the bible who was the builder of this tower was married to a woman named samaramis and the two of them had a child named Tammuz, who was killed by a wild animal and miraculously brought back to life via satanic power. And so that started the worship of the mother and the child. And when God confounded the language, um, essentially they took um, every people group, took that system with them into their own different nation or ethnicity. And you can find remnants of the mother-child system all over the world. It's just the names change, you know, from place to place, but it's the same old system. The Romans called it Venus and Cupid, you know, instead of Samarimus and Tamas, and we can go right on down the litany. But 
I think that's really the key to understanding the harlot in Revelation 17, verse 5, because she's called the, with the definite article, mother of, of harlots, mother of all harlotry, really, which is the source of all harlotry. And there's only one city that could qualify to be that. Um, it can't be Rome, because Rome was the daughter harlot. She absorbed the system. She didn't start it all. The only city that started it all was the Tower of Babel. That's the city that harlotry spread you know, from there into the whole world, because that's the only city that where there was just one language that God confounded. And so when you start to understand that, it starts to unpack the meaning of the title that's on the harlot's forehead in Revelation 17, the mother of harlots. Only one city qualifies. Every other city you come up with is a daughter harlot, but not the mother of harlots. So this is just an example of what you said earlier, you know, that you, you know, God expects us to approach the book of Revelation with a knowledge of the Old Testament, and he expects us to already understand the Tower of Babel, you know, even before we try to interpret the, the, the uh, city of Babylon in the book of Revelation. Yeah, definitely. And and really everything is culminating to that when you read throughout the Bible. We even have two passages in <clears throat> Isaiah and Jeremiah that deal with the, the destruction of Babylon. Some people will try to say that those were fulfilled in 539 BC when Babylon fell to uh, the, the Persians. But as you explain, that's not exactly the case. Uh, Babylon was not destroyed in the way that it's described in Isaiah and Jeremiah, meaning Babylon will have to be rebuilt again in order for it to be destroyed in the way it was prophesied. And it's funny because there are people that say that's ridiculous, but that happened with Israel <laughs> Israel herself. So we, we know that that yeah. kind of thing can happen. Uh, let's start with Isaiah 13 and 14. What, what are a couple of the most uh, compelling clues that you see in those chapters pointing towards uh, a literal rebuilt city of Babylon? Well, it you know, when you read those chapters, it talks about cosmic disturbances, chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, um, global judgment, chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. She's going to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, chapter 13, verse 19. Uh, when she is destroyed, she'll never be rebuilt, chapter 13, verses 20 through 22. The, the whole world will be at rest and at peace when Babylon falls, chapter 14, verses 5 through 8, and Israel will be regenerated, mm -hmm. chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. It's interesting, there's two oracles uh, concerning destruction in Isaiah's writings. There's a section there called the um, Oracle Against the Nations, chapters 13 through 23, and he mentions, it's the only nation that he mentions twice, once in chapters 13 and 14 and once in chapter 21. And I think the reason for that is chapter 21 is the near view. It's what happened to Babylon at the hands of the Persians in 539, but chapters 13 and 14 is the far view, describing what John sees in Revelation 17 and 18. Yeah, yeah. And when, and when we read through that with that uh, scope, it really ties it together. And, and also with Jeremiah 50 and 51. Um, and, and for those, I'll ask the same questions. Uh, same question. What, what's the, what, are, what are some of the most convincing clues that you see in those chapters, Jeremiah 50 and 51, uh, pointing to a literal rebuilt Babylon? 
Well, sudden destruction, chapter 51, verse 8. Uh, complete destruction, chapter 50, verse 3. When when Babylon is destroyed, her, built, her uh, building materials will never be used again, <laughs> chapter 51, verse 26. Believers will, will flee, chapter 50, verse 8. No, that didn't happen in 539 B.C. because Daniel— you remember when Babylon fell to the Persians, he continued to serve in the empire of Persia, just as he had served in the empire of Babylon. And then Israel will be regenerated again, you know, chapter 50, verse 2, verses 4 and 5, verse 20, chapter 51, verse 50. And you start to look at this and you compare it to what we know of history, and there's no way these prophecies were fulfilled for the simple reason that when Babylon fell to the Persians in 539 and backing up for a minute, that's what everybody's saying today. Those prophecies were fulfilled. You know, those eighth and seventh century prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah were fulfilled in the sixth century when the Persians conquered the Babylonians. Uh, I say no way because (laughs) None of that. None of those details were ever fulfilled. Uh, when the when the Persians conquered the Babylonians, based what we know of you know known historical sources, as they went under the wall, and they conquered the the Persians conquered the Babylons without a war. You know, you might remember that was happening in Daniel five, right? Uh, Belshazzar, you remember, was partying as if there was no tomorrow. He thought he was invincible. And yet that very night, the Persians had already tunneled under the wall, and there was no battle. Uh, Herodotus makes that point in his histories. And there's something called the Cyrus Cylinder in archaeology where Cyrus uh, boasts, Cyrus of Persia boasts how he conquered Babylon, he says, without any battle. And he was a polytheist, and he didn't want to upset the Babylonian deities, so he didn't smash them or destroy them. Uh, he kept them in their natural you know, temples and, and things of that nature. So the language of cataclysm and destruction that you see in Isaiah's prophecies and Jeremiah's prophecies were ne- was never fulfilled. So now the question is, well, either God was exaggerating, which a lot of people say he was, I'm, I'm troubled by that because God can't lie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Isaiah 53, we mm. all take that as a messianic prophecy. That seems pretty literal. So it seems to me that when God speaks, um, he gives you the specific details we should pay attention. So I don't think he exaggerated there as most of academia thinks. I, I actually think Babylon has to come back to life so it can be destroyed in the seventh bowl judgment cataclysmically as the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, you know, depict. And what's amazing, too, is uh, the prophet Zechariah actually records a vision that he had, which occurred about 20 years after the Persian destruction of Babylon that connects with Revelation's uh, description of future Babylon. I'll read this one because it's not too long. Zechariah 5, 5 through 11 states... Uh, starting in verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. 
So I asked, what is it? And he said, it's a basket that is going forth. He, al he also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar, when it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Um, I've always been really interested in that in that whole vision because it, it's it, it just reads so strange. <laughs> but uh, but but there's there's a lot of really interesting things here that tie to Babylon. What what is it about this passage that uh, that points to a future rebuilt city of Babylon? Well, it talks about the woman or wickedness in the basket, ephah or commerce. And she's going to be let out one day. And uh, she's going to go to a place where a house is going to be built for her. Now, house is the same Hebrew word that's used to describe the temple in Jerusalem. So it's obviously a religious center. And it's very clear, verse 11, that it's going to be rebuilt for her when she's let out of this basket in God's timing in the land of Shinar. I mean, that's exactly where the Tower of Babel once stood, Genesis 1, excuse me, Genesis 11, verse 2, and it's where the children of Israel were taken into the captivity in Babylon for 70 years, Daniel 1, verse 2. And so um, it's very clear that one of these days, uh, commerce, wickedness, and religion, its center of authority is going to return to the same place where the Tower of Babel once stood. I think that the woman in the basket is the harlot of Revelation 17. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of parallels between the two. And then you hit the most important issue earlier. Um, Zechariah had the, this vision. Actually, he had eight visions in one night. That's a heck of a night when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's very clear, Zechariah 1, verse 7, that these happened in the second year of Darius, so that historically is 519. So this was after historical Babylon passed into the hands of the Persians. And that's very interesting because even if you buy into liberal academia and their view that Isaiah and Jeremiah are just kind of stylized and exaggerated prophecies – about Babylon's destruction in 539, even if you believe that, and I don't believe that, but even if you do, you still have to contend with Zechariah 1, 1 verse 7, because that has nothing to do with 539 BC for the simple reason that it was given by God 20 years after Babylon historically already fell. So that passage also is another one you put in your litany, arguing for a restored Babylon in the last days. Yeah, definitely. And this leads us to the book of Revelation. You you have pointed out that uh, the prophecies concerning the kings of the east in the sixth trumpet and uh, and the bull judgments in Revelation also lend evidence towards the rebuilt Babylon. Can you explain that? Yeah, when you put Revel Revelation 9, verse 14, and you study it with Revelation 16, verse 12, um, those are the sixth uh, trumpet and bull judgments. And basically what they're talking about is this giant army 
from the far east. Um, it looks like it numbers 200 million. It's going to make its way from the Far East towards northern Israel to participate in the final battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And the Euphrates River is supernaturally dried up to expedite the path. And along the way, they kill a third of mankind, which is stunning. And the Euphrates River, you know, basically geographically demarcates the Far East from the Middle East. So this is a giant army that's moving towards northern Israel. Now, the question is, well, who is summoning this army? Um, it must be an entity just to the east of the Euphrates River, because the Euphrates River is such a dominant focus you know, in those passages. And you go directly to the east of the Euphrates River, and you run into modern-day Babylon, you know, 58 miles south of Baghdad. And so to me, it's very logical that the Antichrist will summon that army from the Far East into the Middle East to participate in the Battle of Armageddon. He's going to summon them, you know, from his rebuilt capital. Um, so it's just another, you know, it's not as clear as I'd like it, but it's just another piece of evidence that, you know, we need to be paying a lot of attention Something something really evil must be going on to the east of the Euphrates River to summon this army. And um, it's just another piece of evidence showing us, you know, that uh, we need to pay attention to what's going on to the east of the Euphrates River. Oh, absolutely. And then finally, in uh, Revelation 17 and 18, we have two long chapters detailing in full all about Babylon. Can you explain the whole mystery Babylon the Great controversy, uh, those words mystery Babylon? What's the controversy there and how have you reconciled it in your research? Yeah, and it's important for people to understand that, you know, now we're finally getting to the main passage. You know, most people start there, <laughs> but you see all the work we've done just to get here. Yeah. Because that's how God set up the Bible. So we're supposed to read those chapters with all of this background in mind, as you articulated earlier. But on the harlot's title, it says in the KJV and the NAV, it calls her mystery Babylon, indicating that mystery is part of her title. However, when you read it in the NASB, you'll see that mystery is not capitalized, indicating that her title is not mystery Babylon. It's just Babylon the Great, and her role in the end times is a mystery. A mystery biblically is a new truth, never before disclosed. You know, Colossians 1 verse 26 other passages, you know, describe uh, what a mystery is. And so the reading in the KJV and the NIV favors understanding her as mystic or mystical Babylon. In fact, it's interesting when you talk to people, they immediately use the word mystery Babylon, and that shows me where they're going with it. But the reality of the situation is her name is not mystery Babylon. It's Babylon the Great, and her role in the end times is a mystery. So I do not think that the KJV and the NIV have it right. I think the NASB has it right here. And the primary reason is the name Babylon the Great is used five other times in the book of Revelation. And never once is Babylon referred to as Mystery Babylon. 
she's always referred to as Babylon the Great. And the word mystery is not part of her title. It's not mystic Babylon, symbolic Babylon, allegorical Babylon. <laughs> it's just Babylon the Great. And she's going to do something extraordinary in the end times. She's actually going to be destroyed by the Antichrist himself, as God is going to put into the heart of the Antichrist his purpose to destroy Babylon, and that's how Babylon is destroyed in the seventh bowl judgment. And that's the mystery. That's the new truth that's being unpacked. So it's <laughs> it's not mystical Babylon. It's just Babylon the Great, and her what happens to her is a mystery. What what I think is amazing about it is is when we actually understand, like you mentioned, what uh, the appropriate uh, definition of mystery is. That then it really all falls together and makes sense because, in, in, like you said, in the in the Bible, a mystery is some is a, a a former secretive you know truth that has now been revealed. So if it was mystery Babylon. <clears throat> It would only mean that, well, now it's been revealed, now you know what it is. Uh, but that doesn't work with the <laughs> mystical interpretation because people will try to say, well, it's a mystery, we don't know. Which is funny because they say the same thing about the rapture, too. And, and as you yeah. argue, and I, I agree, you actually can know because it's a mystery. Uh, yeah. it's, it's amazing how just the you know definition of one word can throw off so much theology. The problem is we're going from our English definition of mystery. Yeah. And to us, a mystery is you know, something ambiguous that has to be searched out with great diligence, you know, like in the old Columbo shows, you don't know who the bad guy is <clears throat> until the last five minutes of the show. But that's not what the Greeks meant by mystery. The Bible, New Testament was written in Koine Greek, and they, they meant something not veiled, but unveiled, that prior, prior, prior was veiled. And in fact, you know, everybody's all bent out of shape about the symbolic nature of the book of Revelation. The, the title of it is the Apocalypsis. That's where Reve the title Revelation comes from, which is the unveiling. Right. Not the veiling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that right there, right before you even start reading the book, the title itself argues against the mm -hmm. uh, allegorical <laughs> method of interpretation. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I've, I've realized with myself in my younger years, you know, I was kind of into the symbolic stuff and, and I, I, di I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I got myself in more trouble biblically uh, trying to interpret things myself than just letting the Bible interpret it you know, for me the way right. I do now through the literal view. You know, one thing that I really appreciate about <clears throat> the way that you teach is uh, you'll, you'll explain fairly all the other views and then you focus in on, on why you, you have the view that you have. And a, a lot of teachers don't do that. A lot of teachers, they'll, if they bring up any other alternate views at all, that it's a lot of times they'll like mock them or, or, or they'll straw man them to death. Uh, and I, I've never know, known you to do that. And I, I absolutely love that. When I was, um, when I was first going through your revelation series on YouTube, which I highly suggest everybody go check out it, it'll, it'll blow your mind. But when I was first First going through that, um, I was relatively kind of undecided about what Mystery Babylon was, and uh, but watching that and, and actually being able to get all of the the main views and see what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then and then have you like explain why you why you hold the mm -hmm. view that you have uh, that that right there convinced me, and um, I, I really appreciate your method of teaching. If people want to uh, check out your YouTube channel, pick up your books, I understand that some of this information might be in a in a new book coming out later this year. 
if people want to check that out and watch your videos and stuff, where can they do that? Well, the videos, you know, you can find those at my YouTube channel. Just type in Andy Woods into your YouTube search engine and you should find it. There's uh, lots of playlists. And if they're interested in the Revelation series, you know, you can go to the Revelation playlist. But there's lots of different. We've got the book of Daniel there and countless other topics. Um, another way to find us is just go to our website, andywoodsministries.org. And then the church, you know, where I do all this teaching is Sugarland Bible Church. And if you go to www.slbc, standing for Sugarland Bible Church, www.slbc.org, you know, there's a sermon archive area there. And you just put in the series you're interested in, and the teaching will come up in audio format, video format, transcripts. PowerPoints, you know, it's all, it's all there for free. Excellent. Yeah. And like I said, I highly suggest uh, everybody, everybody do that because there, there's a wealth of information there that you're not going to be able to find in too many other places. Uh, and I've personally found it extremely valuable. Well, there are, there's a lot more that I want to ask you. I want to ask you about alternate, alternate interpretations of Babylon. Is there a difference between Babylon 17 and 18? Are they talking about different things? And um, is there anything going on in the world today that might point to uh, plans or, or something uh, uh, com coming our way about a, a new rebuilt Babylon city? Or are they going to rebuild this thing in our lifetime, possibly? I want to ask you all that, but we're going to have to do that in the members-only section. So if you are watching, head on over to dailyrenegade.com. You can get a free trial. If you don't know if you want to support us yet, that's totally fine. Uh, we just ask that you you know pray about it and do what, do what the Lord leads you to do, but you can get a free trial. Try us out for you know a week, and so there's no excuse to miss the rest of this uh, episode. Just head on over to dailyrenegade.com, and you'll, you'll get that. You'll get so much more and uh, we will see you over there. So um, everybody viewing for free on YouTube, thank you so much. And uh, members, hang on the line. We're going to jump right back into it. Take care. God bless.